Amen. So I've got a little research that we're going to cover this morning. You think I'm kidding. I'm not. This morning is week number five in our Equipped series. And it is a series in which we are preparing believers for every stage of life. And specifically, discipleship within the home. Also focused on how it is that men and women can walk as faithful disciples of Christ at every stage along the way. And how do you effectively transfer your faith to the next generation? And so far in this, we have talked about establishing a godly home. We've talked about understanding discipline, developing a discipleship plan. And then last week, Pastor Ken gave an amazing message on parenting children in rebellion. So this morning, we are taking another step. And this one's going to be a little bit different. It's a two-part message that we get into this morning. But today, we are talking about societal trends, role reversal, and the need for biblical modeling of the sexes. Now, I know that is a mouthful. I have tried to shorten that title multiple times, but every time I tried to shorten the title, it didn't actually say what we were getting into. And I want to take just a moment to let you know what we are getting into this morning. Over the next two weeks, we are going to see how societal trends and pressures outside the home are bringing incredible disruption to families inside the home. We are going to explore the effects of male and female role reversal within our culture. We're going to see where it came from. We're going to see how it is adversely affecting multiple generations. And we're also going to see how it is an exact attack against God's authority and God's image, or also known as the Imago Dei. We're going to see why it is important for all Christians, those who are young and old, those who are married, and those who are not married, to model and champion God's design in a culture that is bent on redefining men and women. Now, from the very beginning, I want to clearly state what we are for. All too often, the church is known with what we're against. We need to be known for what we're for. So here's what we're for. We're for people. We are for healthy families. We are for the gospel that frees people to understand their created purpose and to live out their created potential. We are for God. We are for his word. We are for his perfect and his eternal plan. We are for the concept that God's character is immutable and it is holy. God's desire is always for our good and for his glory. We are for those different things. So for us to be for those different things, it's also going to mean that there's certain things that we will be against. And when we talk about things that we are against, it's going to be those things that are against the pieces that hurt people, things that hurt families, things that come against God's design. We must be against anything that rips the dignity out of men and women. We must be against things that will lay greater weight on people who are already burdened and hurting. And we also need to be against some things that will not allow a person to understand their true worth and their value before their creator. To be for God and to be for people 
will mean that there are certain things that we will be against. But even in our opposition, that opposition is not out of hatred. It is not out of bigotry. It is opposition that is born out of a desire to be faithful to the truths of God's word and a desire also to be able to love people the way that God loves them. I need you all to know from the very beginning, it is not loving for Christians to know truth and to sit idly while families are being ripped apart. It is not loving for the Christian community to watch generations being decimated and the church be silent. The church cannot be silent on these issues. The church has to speak up. The church has been called to be salt and light. Salt holds back decay as well as it preserves, and light exposes darkness and it illuminates the way to safety. The church cannot remain silent. Now, here's my agenda for the next two weeks. I am not attempting to address every angle of this problem. I'm also not trying to resolve the tension that is going to be created through this discussion. Here's what my goal for the next couple of weeks is. One, to bring awareness to a problem that is decimating families and individuals. Number two, to let hurting people know that there is hope and there is help in the gospel. And number three, to provide biblical insight for those who want to interact with God and those they love in a meaningful way. That's what we're trying to do over the next couple of weeks. So all of that being said, I invite you to go with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter number one. Genesis chapter number one. If you don't know where the book of Genesis is, just open up the front cover and you're pretty much there. (laughs) Genesis chapter one. I am going to be in verse number 27. I'm speaking this morning and next week on the topic of societal trends, role reversal, and the need for biblical modeling of the sexes. Let's read the passage, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that your spirit would guide us into truth. We ask this morning that, God, you would help us to walk that grace and truth line that we represent your heart and your word. And at the same time, God, we give help and hope and encouragement to those who need it. God, we recognize that we need you in this entire process. Lord, may you faithfully walk us through this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start by stating some problems. And again, I am not going to be able to address every problem that our culture is facing, nor will I be able to exhaust every angle of the problems that I'm going to bring awareness to this morning. But I do think it's important that in a very broad sense, we at least know some of the challenges that we are up against. And I'm going to give you problem number one. And this one problem I'm going to spend the lion's share of today's message on. Problem number one. God's authority and God's image are under attack. There is a relentless and destructive message coming through the channels of culture that being a man is toxic and being a woman is not enough. Let me say that again. God's authority and God's image are under attack. There is a relentless and a destructive message coming through the channels of culture 
that being a man is toxic and being a woman is not enough. Now, it is going to take a little while for us to unpack this statement, but I'm going to begin with the first part of that, and that is God's authority being under attack. This is not a new phenomenon. This is a sin problem. This is a rebellion problem. You can trace this all the way back into the angelic realm with Lucifer's fall when there was a third of the angels that went with him. There was a rebellion against the authority of God. You can also see that on a human realm all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the fall of humanity. This is nothing that is new. So let's put it together in a very succinct way. That is quickly stated, God is the creator. God is sovereign. God is supreme. God not only created all that is, but God also established roles for men and women, perfectly defined the sexes, and he did so under the auspices of his own authority. When you create something, you control it. You have it. It is yours. It's directed by you. That is one of the benefits of being the sovereign God, the creator of everything. It is his creation. So any attempt to oppose his design or redefine those roles or to encourage people to embrace a life that is opposed to God's perfect and eternal plan is an assault on God's authority. So here's the second part of that statement. Not only is God's authority under assault, but God's image is also under attack. God created men and women in his image. If you were to look back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make man in our image and our likeness. I just read verse number 27, where it says that male and female, he created them. So here's the picture that you get from Genesis chapter 2, verse number 7. That is, as God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, he breathed his breath, he breathed his life into Adam. The reason that humanity has life, has breath, has being is because we have been created by this eternal, supreme, incredible, sovereign God. But a part of that creation that is so unique to humanity is we are the only part of creation that is created in his image. So what does that mean to be created in the image of God? In the most simplistic terms, it means that we are made to resemble God. According to Genesis 1:27, God perfectly and intentionally made us male and female. Within each sex and recognized in both genders, you can see the beauty of God's many perfections. Mentally and morally and socially, we've been made in God's likeness. Mentally, we're created with the ability to reason and to choose. Morally, we were created in righteousness as a reflection of God's holiness. Socially, we've been created in relationship and for community. Humanity bears the image of God, and while sin has marred that image, sin has not removed that image. We are made in the image of God. We are image bearers. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment. The moment there is an attack that hurts people, the moment there is an attempt to redefine men and women, when God's design for roles and genders and even marriage are under attack, it is an Imago Dei issue. We need to link the challenge back to the real issue that is at stake. Did you all know that abortion 
is an Imago Dei issue, not a political talking point. It is an assault on the image of God. And by the way, you'll also find that politics will often embrace what the church has refused to address. Racism and sexism are Imago Dei issues. They attack the dignity and the value and the beauty of God's image. Homosexuality and transgenderism are Imago Dei issues. They celebrate a distortion of God's design. Even within heterosexual activity, there are Imago Dei issues. Polygamy, polyandry, premarital sex, extramarital sex. You say, Paul, why would you even bring those issues in? Because when anything devalues a person, when it creates these huge emotional chasms, when it does not allow a person to experience their created purpose and potential, there is a link back to the Imago Dei. It is an attack that is coming against the image. Now, please hear me on this. The church should never, never be ugly in our response to anyone. But the church should also not be silent when the enemy is assaulting those created in God's image. The moment any theory, any agenda, any private notion or cultural idea tries to diminish, redefine, or destroy men and women of their true God-given value and roles. There is an attack against God's authority and also against God's image. Now, the second sentence of problem one starts with this phrase. There is a relentless and destructive message coming through the channels of culture. Let me pause there for just a moment. There are seven, at least seven, recognized channels of culture. They are business, education, social sector, arts and entertainment, government, media, and the church. Those are your primary channels of culture. To change the way people see a topic, you need to send consistent messaging through each of those channels regularly, and it happens over the course of time. In fact, to change the way deeply seated ideas of culture are viewed, you need to go back, and sometimes this is 25 years, 30 years, 40 years or more that you're sending the messaging through those same channels over and over again. If you want to see this principle in effect right now, I would encourage you to watch what has happened with the LGBTQ movement. They've mastered this technique for the last 30 to 35 years. Mastered it. And what do I mean by that? Here it is. Here is the messaging that has been running through all different channels. All expressions of human sexuality are good and acceptable. To reject that premise is hateful, bigoted, unloving, and dangerous. That's the consistent message that you're getting in all seven channels. Now, when that message has flown through business, education, social sector, arts and entertainment, government, media, and yes, even the church. So what's happening as a result of that? It has fundamentally changed the way our culture views sexuality. Now let me pause here again. I have to keep pausing to make sure we're incredibly clear. It is sinful and it is wrong for anyone to demean, hurt, or demoralize another person. 
It, it, hey, listen, gay or straight, people, people are made in the image of God. We have to be clear on where we're at here. So what are we for? We're for people. We're for healthy families. We are for the gospel that helps set people free to understand their created purpose and to live out their created potential. We are for God. We are for his word. We are for God's plan that is immutable and unchanging and eternal and perfect, and it's beautiful. And anything that is hurting people, we have to say, we got to stop there. That, that is not being hateful. That is not being mean. That is not being bigoted. That is the equivalent of somebody saying, I am for the protection of children, and at the same time saying, I'm okay with young children playing in a busy street. You cannot be for both at the same time. The fact that you are for one means that you're going to have to speak up against another one. As Christians, we are called to love God and love people. As Christians, we are called to be salt and light. As Christians, we are called to speak the truth in love. And because of that calling, it's going to put us at odds with certain beliefs and behaviors. But listen, even when we disagree, we are to disagree in love and in respect. We have to remember what Ephesians tells us. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. The Bible tells us that it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. So now let's go back to problem number one. There is a relentless and a destructive message coming through the channels of culture that being a man is toxic and being a woman is not enough. I am going to dedicate the rest of today's message to address the part for men. Next week, I'm going to address the section for women. I cannot encourage you enough to be here for both messages. If you only hear one of these, you will have a distorted view of what I'm trying to share. You, you need to hear both parts of this. So because of that, because of this consistent message that has been going after both men and women, we now have a second problem that is addressing men specifically. Problem number two, our society is experiencing a vacuum of mature young men due in part to role reversal, devaluing manhood, and encouraging immature role models. Let me say that again, especially since there was no amen on that side, so maybe y'all didn't hear all of what I just shared. Our society is experiencing a vacuum of mature young men due in part to role reversal, devaluing manhood, and encouraging immature role models. Amen. Amen. There we are. I was thinking at least the single women in the room would have given me the first amen on that. There we go. And all of the dads and moms who want their children to be married. But I want to, I want to take a moment and I do want to go through some of this packet. And the reason I'm doing this is I want you to see what we're discussing. This is not a Sherwood Baptist issue. This is not a Christian issue. This is a cultural, worldwide issue that has been documented over and over again. So I'm going to read just a little section of one article I pulled from CNN. It is from William Bennett, and the article is entitled, Why Men Are in Trouble. 
And I need you to listen all the way through. I've got article after article I want to set up with. He begins with some basic differences with men and women, and then he moves in to some specifics of the problem. Here's what it says, and I quote, For the first time in history, women are better educated, more ambitious, and arguably more successful than men. Now, society has rightly celebrated the ascension of one sex. We said, you go, girl, and they went. We celebrate the ascension of women. But what will we do about what appears to be the very real decline of the other sex? The data does not bode well for men. In 1970, men earned 60% of all college degrees. In 1980, the figure fell to 50%. By 2006, it was 43%. Women now surpass men in college degrees by almost 3 to 2. Women's earnings grew from 44% in real dollar value from 1970 to 2007 compared with 6% growth for men. In 1950, 5% of men in their prime working age were unemployed. By 2010, 20% were not working. The warning signs go beyond our wallets. Men are more distant from their families and their children than they've ever been. The out-of-wedlock birth rate is now over 40% in America. Men are less religious than they've ever been. If you don't believe the numbers, just ask young women about men today. You will find them talking about prolonged adolescence and men who refuse to grow up. I've heard too many young women asking, where are the decent single men? There is a maturity deficit among men out there, and men are falling behind. Today, 18 to 34-year-old men spend more time playing video games than 12 to 17-year-old boys. While women are graduating college and finding good jobs, too many men are not going to work, not getting married, and not raising families. So what's wrong? Increasingly, listen to how clear this is, increasingly, the message to boys about what it means to be a man are confusing. The machoism of the street gang calls out for swagger. Video games, television, and music offer dubious lessons to boys who have been abandoned by their fathers. Movies are filled with stories of men who refuse to grow up and refuse to take responsibility in relationships. Through all of these different and conflicting signals, our boys must decipher what it means to be a man, and for many of them, it is harder and harder to figure out. For boys to become men, they need to be guided through advice, habit, instruction, example, and correction. End of quote. That's just one of thousands of articles on this topic. Here's another article entitled, New Research, Most Watched TV Content Often Reinforces Male Stereotypes of Being Aggressive, Uncaring, and Hands-Off Parenting. Here's another one for you. Dumbing Down Dad, How Media Presents Husbands and Fathers as Useless. These articles are everywhere. Here's another one. Why are sitcom dads so inept? This was written in 2020. Now, if you look back, watch the cultural phenomenon that's happened in this genre. Go back 50 years ago, and the sitcoms of the time were sitcoms like Andy Griffith. It was Father Knows Best. It was my three dads. All, all of those, they, they had men who were responsible husbands and fathers. 
But then about 25 years ago, there was a massive shift that began to take place. In fact, instead of it being responsible husbands and fathers, it was the exact opposite. That's when married with children came. Everybody loves Raymond, family guy, a number of those different ones. Every single one of those, it shows men who are inept, men who can't get it together, men who are not strong leaders, men who have a hard time even tying their own shoes. And you know what it created? It created a brand new category referred to as dysfunctional family television. There's now entire articles on the 20 most dysfunctional TV families that are out there. This particular issue has become such a widespread piece that there are now entire dissertations that are being written right now on how it is our culture came to this point, what allowed it to get to this point, and what made it acceptable to begin to devalue and to demean men. It's all right there leading to a Wall Street Journal article. Where have all the good men gone? I'm going to get into that more this next week. But I, I need you to listen closely. Again, this is, this is either going to be a, a good moment where you can see a connection, or you're going to hear me say what I'm not saying. So, researchers look back on the problem, and they're finding a lot of the issues emerged around 50 years ago. In the 60s, there was a huge push for equality between the sexes, and rightly so. The women's lib movement, it led the charge for equal access to jobs, equal pay, and equal opportunities for men and women. Please hear what I'm saying. Equality is not the problem. That's not the problem. Here's the issue. The problem is that many of the techniques used for elevating women came by devaluing men. Somewhere along the way, manhood was seen as the enemy. Being a gentleman is seen as archaic. The masculine qualities were considered to be over the top and toxic. It became okay to ridicule and to belittle and to devalue and to tear down everything that smacks of masculinity. Listen, unless those qualities were found in a woman. Listen to connection. I'm going to get more into this this next week. But there has been a concentrated effort in order for women to adapt the better pieces of being a man and at the same time to live out all the qualities of being a woman. Hence, we get into next week this idea that being a woman is not enough. You have to be all woman and now you also have to be all man. That's what's now being considered to be a real woman. And we're going to dig into that, and we're going to show how it is that right now there is more anxiety issues, there's more stress things, there's more pills that are being popped around this nation, oftentimes because people cannot live up to a standard, here it is, that God never set aside for them. I am not saying for a moment there should not be equal pay, equal opportunity, as well as equal access to jobs. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is God perfectly made men and women in his image, and he made them right. And he knows what brings fulfillment and what brings joy, and it's a part of his plan. Society portrays a real man now as being less of a man and more of a woman. He needs to be less macho, less determined, and less ambitious, while being more caring, more compassionate, and more nurturing. 
Now listen, nothing wrong with being caring, nothing wrong with being compassionate, nothing wrong with being nurturing. The issue is when somebody's told you can no longer be a man and you have to adopt this, it is outside of God's plan. So the media landscape is now filled with men who are bumbling idiots. They don't take responsibility. They have no drive in life. They treat women with disrespect. They cannot be trusted even with menial tasks, and they need a strong woman to solve all of their issues. Now, some people might say, Paul, you're reading too much into it. It's just entertainment. It's just, it's just TV. It's just fun. I wish, I wish there was not a direct attack. Let me give you a quote. This is from Entertainment Weekly with ABC's new fall lineup. Listen to this quote. Quote, ABC Entertainment President Paul Lee has set out a large group of new shows that are consciously going for a theme that's a bit daring. Boiled down, it amounts to women smart and strong, men dumb and weak. End of quote. It's focused. There's intentionality behind this. Over and over, men are being portrayed as incompetent and unreliable and weak and childish and easy to manipulate and unmotivated. So go back to that question again. Where have all the good men gone? I think I can give you an answer to that. Through role reversal and devaluing manhood and encouraging immature role models, society has effectively neutered almost three generations of men. Society says, man up. And young guys have no idea what that means. Society says, take responsibility and be a man. And yet, young men in droves say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Did you know there's an entire classification that's now referred to as the lost boys? They don't, they don't know what the next step needs to be. They're stuck in their 20s and in their 30s. They don't know how to lead. They don't know how to be a husband and a father. They don't know how to get a job. They don't know how to take responsibility. They don't even know how to budget sometimes because there's nobody who sat with them and said, let me teach you what it looks like to be a man. Young men have been stripped of strong, godly, male, responsible role models. They've been told that masculinity, the impulse to protect, the desire to provide, and the call to lead homes are all archaic and sexist. And as a result of that, they're lost. We can't be surprised when we're looking out right now and we're saying, where are the guys gone? We're the godly young men. I want you to listen to this quote from the book of man for just a moment. It's so beautifully worded. Once upon a time, women rarely had to open doors and little old ladies never crossed the street alone. Men took charge because that's what they did. But somewhere along the way, disco by disco, latte by foamy non-fat latte, It gets better. Since you all enjoyed that so much, we'll give it to you again. Latte by foamy, non-fat latte. Men were stripped of their khakis and left stranded on the road between boyhood and androgyny. For the first time since bad guys, 
We need heroes. We need grown-ups. It's time to get your hands dirty. It's time to answer the call to manhood. End of quotes. So what's the answer? I can only give a part of this answer right now for followers of Christ. My prayer is that what happens with the individual will impact the family, and what happens in the family is going to impact the church, and what happens in the church is going to spill over into the community, and what happens in the community eventually begins to change culture. Remember, when you're changing the way people view things, it is not a short process. You have to play the long game. In fact, one of the reasons why I shared with you all several weeks ago, this particular series could easily be 15 to 20 years that I'm doing, six, seven messages a year, is because we're playing the long game. It's not something that we address the topic and say, okay, now we've done it and we move on. It needs to be as other issues arise, there's an opportunity to keep coming in and saying, here's how you address it. Here's how you equip the body of Christ in this. So here's the answer as best I can define it, two parts. First, Christian men must embrace God's design for biblical manhood. And number two, Christian men must teach and model these truths before their kids. Those are your first two starting places. How will your sons know what it looks like to be a godly man if they've never seen it live by example? And how will your daughters know how to look for a godly man if they've not seen one modeled around them either? Now here's a little secret that's been overlooked in the last couple of decades. If you're a man, it's okay to be a man. God made you a man. God gave you roles and responsibilities as a man. And if you're a godly, hardworking, mature young man, let me also say there's a lot of godly Christian single ladies who've been praying for you. Amen. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, like some of these young men, it, it's almost like trying to find a unicorn in our society <laughs> to find someone who has drive and ambition and a love for Jesus and a willingness to treat women with respect. All of those things used to be just taken for granted. They're not taken for granted anymore. Now when you see that, it, it startles you. You almost think, what are you trying to play? Is this a game? Like, I, I don't know what to do with that. Godly women want a man they can respect, who will love them unconditionally, who will lead his family in a godly way, who will provide for his family, and who will partner with them to create a life worth living. Be that guy. Be that guy. Be the guy in your peer group who is chasing after Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Be that guy. Be the guy that you want your daughter to marry one day down the road. Be that guy. Be the guy who is willing to do the hard work and take responsibility and not complain along the way. Be that guy. Be the guy who's going to work hard for his family and going to love his wife like Christ loved the church and is going to be a picture of faithfulness and stability in the home. Be that guy. The church is desperate for those kind of men. Now let me also pause here for just a moment. 
What do you do in a situation where there is a single mom? Or maybe there's someone that they didn't have that role model. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. That should be that if you're not able to see that at home, come to church and there's going to be some godly men who are going to say, I will stand in the gap and help you. We need that. We got a generation who is confused about this. This is one of those things that over 20 years now of me doing ministry and most of that being out in Las Vegas, over those years, we kept seeing so many young families who would come into the church and many times they were first-generation believers. And when that young man is saved, and he now hears, you're supposed to be a spiritual leader within the home. I cannot tell you how many times they would come and say, I have no idea what that is. I've never seen it modeled. I don't have a, a picture of that. Where are they going to learn it if not in the church with godly men around them? So if you're confused maybe about what that looks like, if you're confused about how it is that you can step into God's design for being a man, then I'm going to encourage you to come back next week. Amen. I'm not actually doing that to just kind of put a hook for next week. It's the fact that this week is primarily setting up this is the challenge before us. So next week, we begin to explore God's design for biblical manhood. We're going to deal with his design for fathers as well as husbands. We're also going to explore next week biblical womanhood, God's design for biblical womanhood. Did you know for the first time in our nation's history, there's a phenomenon referred to as motherless children. And that is no longer a designation that is given to children whose moms have passed away. That is a new designation for a whole group of kids that their moms are alive and well, but they choose not to be a part of their kids' lives. You don't want to miss next week. We're digging in deep. So how do you respond to a message like this? I've been praying about this last week. How do you respond? The only thing I know to encourage you to do is to respond as the Spirit of God is prompting you. For some of you, it might be that you're hearing this and all of a sudden there is a new awareness to the challenge and you just have a burden. You're like, I need to be praying. I need to pray for the young families. I need to pray for the church. I need to pray for our culture. For somebody else, you might be hearing this and your first thought is, I did some things in the past I wish I could go back and I could do over again. Let me tell you, please don't let the enemy lock you into that place well, you're beating yourself up about something that happened back here because you can't change what happened back there, but God can absolutely use this moment moving forward in order to use you in a huge way to make strides and impact in the future. It might be that right now there's some young men in this room that you're in your teens, you're in your 20s, and you're hearing this message and there's something that's rising up inside of you. All I can say is, be the man God called you to be. It is okay to be a Christian man. Be that guy. Don't back down from what it looks like to be a godly man. Sometimes it's going to mean you might have to walk alone, but it's better to walk alone with Jesus than what it is to go with culture and know that you're opposing God's design and his authority. 
It might be some others that you're just saying, I've got issues in my family right now that I'm just praying through. Whatever it might be that the Spirit of God is laid into your heart, I want to encourage you today. Allow the Spirit to move you during our time of invitation. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. I recognize that a message like this can bring up many different feelings and emotions. I recognize that there is a tendency when we get into these matters almost to have a barrier that is built up before we even begin to address God's perspective. My prayer is that you would allow God's word to establish your convictions and your beliefs. My prayer for this last week has been that there's nothing that I would say today that would shame the cause of Christ or would hurt Sherwood as a church and a community. Sometimes when I start preaching on things, especially when something that I've, I've counseled with families, there's a part of an angst inside of me that grows up. Please don't take what be passion on my side is anger on my side. I'm, I'm not mad. I'm just passionate about reaching this next generation. I'm going to ask you, if you would, join with us in prayer. You, you've seen young families stand up and say, today we want to bring up our children and the teaching and instruction of the Lord. They need your help. So what is God laying into your heart? Our pastors are going to be down at the ends of the aisles. I'm just going to have a word of prayer, and the altar's going to be open. If you need to come and pray, if you need somebody to pray with you, come during that invitation time. If you need to, to know how it is that you can have hope in the gospel, come. There will be one of the pastors who will let you know. Just respond as the Spirit of God prompts you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, today that you would allow your spirit to move deeply in our hearts. And God, we will be grateful for what you do. God, may you do a restorative work in families, in another generation. God, help us to be the men and women that you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand in this time of invitation?